este, me dijo que, que dice cinco no tiene. Que no tiene la extrema. It's a cloudless day in Baja, California, just across the border from San Diego. And I'm sitting in the back seat of an unmarked police pickup truck, staring at a barber shop. I'm with a team of Mexican police called the International Liaison Unit. But they're known by another name, the Gringo Hunters. Today, I'm riding along as they hunt down Damien Salinas, an American man wanted for murder. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi, in for Martine Powers. It's Friday, July 15th. Today, an immigration problem that you don't often hear about. American fugitives fleeing to Mexico. By some measures, more than 1,600 fugitives have been sent back to the U.S. in the past 20 years. Mexican police say that number is climbing. Kevin Seif is the Mexico City Bureau Chief for The Post. And he brings us the story of apprehending a murder suspect with a group of police known to locals as the Gringo Hunters. There's an idea of Mexico that exists in the Gringo imagination. The Instagram beaches of Tulum, the cartels of Netflix, a place of American escape. Cross the border, the movies tell you, and you're home free. Thelma, I'm going to Mexico. Think Thelma and Louise, Terminator. No problemo. Think Jimi Hendrix singing Way Down to Mexico. And the people who take the dream of vanishing most literally, they're fugitives. These are murderers, financial criminals, pedophiles, drug dealers, you name it. And I've got to say that even I had the impression that disappearing in Mexico would be kind of easy. It's a big country and parts of it aren't even under the government's control. But in the state of Baja, California, there's one unit of Mexican police assigned to chase them. There are 12 officers in total, and they catch about 150 American fugitives a year. I'll tell you how this usually works. Someone commits a crime in the U.S. and they run for the border. It can seem like the world's easiest getaway. You can waltz into Mexico without anyone checking your ID most of the time. In some cases, these were fugitives fleeing serious crimes. People on the FBI's most wanted list. Serial killers. Billionaires wanted for securities fraud. Some of those fugitives have family members who offer them refuge. But a lot of them... They just stay at motels or rent apartments, looking for jobs that pay in cash. Many of them don't speak Spanish. Some keep going south, into the interior of Mexico. But many just stay in Baja. It's close to the United States, but it has the illusion of being a world apart. A place somehow untethered from life across the border. John Steinbeck, an early gringo visitor, said of Baja, A dream hangs over the whole region a brooding kind of hallucination. It's a sunny day in March. The gringo hunters have agreed to let me ride along with them to see them in action. 
The day started in a restaurant in Ensenada, a beach town not far from the border, full of American tourists. I joined the gringo hunters there. We ate breakfast, huevos rancheros, breakfast burritos. Tourists were wandering around, taking selfies. I was trying to get a sense of how the team operated. They wore blue jeans and t-shirts. They looked like a group of buddies out for a day trip to the beach. And that's exactly how they wanted to appear. (laughs) They're a close-knit group. They trade jokes even as they communicate new intel on fugitives. They were working in a place where it's particularly tough to find people who don't want to be found. Baja, California, a sprawling state of desolate beaches and deserts. It seems almost made for hiding. The team had hunted for gringos in every cranny of it. They'd found gringos in beach resorts, dangling from parasails, in drug rehab centers, tending bars outside of a Carl's Jr. Some fugitives had undergone plastic surgery and acquired new names they couldn't pronounce. Some were found dead. So when today's case crossed their desk, it was in some ways unremarkable, even though it came with real risks. The target? A 21-year-old murder suspect named Damien Salinas, at large for 19 months with purported gang ties on both sides of the border. We left the restaurant and got into three unmarked trucks. The cops had gotten a tip that Salinas might be working at a nearby barber shop. I was in the backseat of a truck behind two of the unit's more senior agents, who I'm calling by their first names, Yvonne and Abigail. We're only using their first names to protect their identity. Yvonne worked for years as a construction worker and then a bodyguard, escorting a top security official through a state partially controlled by drug cartels. Then, in 2010, he was recruited by the Gringo Hunters, a unit whose existence had surprised him. He was like, wait, you hunt Americans? I was interested due to the cycle of the investigation and of this job. I believe that this area is one that takes something from start to finish. On his phone, he saves the photos of dozens of American fugitives he's caught scrolling through them like a digital trophy gallery. The pedophile we detained about three weeks ago. She detained one for homicide last week. Several other homicides. Sometimes, like in the recent case of Anthony Lucky Luciano, the missions can be dangerous. When the team tried to nab him in downtown Tijuana, he opened fire, he shot two of the officers, And it was Abigail, who some of the agents said, fired the fatal shot. Now she was in the front seat, looking ahead at the desert landscape. Abigail is in her early 30s. She grew up on the border, in Tijuana, secretly dreaming of becoming a police officer. Her mother begged her not to join the force, but when she was 20, she signed up anyway. She worked in various police units and then was invited to enlist in the Gringo Hunters. Then they invited me here to the liaison group because the liaison group is not very open for any element to enter. Still, even when her colleagues praise her, the compliments can sometimes be loaded. Like when Yvonne says she can do anything, 
She's like a man in a woman's body. Abigail has taught herself not to care. She says she's devoted to the team's mission, which at its heart is about protecting Mexico. She's seen the stakes of not catching American fugitives in Mexico. One example that's important to her is keeping pedophiles out of the country. She says if the gringo hunters don't catch them, she knows they could repeat their crimes here. And the same goes for murder suspects. People like Damien Salinas, the target of today's mission. After the break, the police close in on the murder suspect. We'll be right back. There's always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. Each week, we bring you inside conversations between the newsroom and the people we cover. From global leaders enacting change to cutting-edge artists redefining our culture. And we make you and your questions part of every conversation. Listen to Washington Post Live wherever you get your podcasts and watch on demand at WashingtonPostLive.com. Here's what the gringo hunters knew about Damien Salinas. He's 21, wanted for murder, and a purported member of a major gang with ties on both sides of the border. On August 16, 2020, Salinas allegedly arrived at the scene of a traffic accident involving his girlfriend. Several people argued over who was responsible for the crash. Within minutes, authorities say, Salinas pulled out a handgun and shot 36-year-old Joshua Tao at close range. He fled immediately before police arrived at the scene. For what? This was a senseless act of violence. This is Brooke Tao, the victim's sister, speaking to a local television station, KGPE. I ask the community to join hands with us and bring in Damien Salinas, the killer who murdered my brother, Joshua Tao. A full 18 months later, the Mexican agents began getting tips about Salinas through the U.S. Marshals. At first, the tips were vague. He could be anywhere, maybe protected by cartel gunmen, or he could be on fugitive spring break riding a jet ski. This really happens. By March, the tips from U.S. law enforcement got more specific. It appeared that Salinas was working cutting hair in Ensenada. Which is why, on that day in March, we had pulled in front of a barber shop, a few blocks away from the tourist strip. From the back seat, I watched the cops at work. The routine was the same most days. They were in constant touch with U.S. authorities who slipped them intelligence. They checked the Facebook pages of the fugitives. Remarkably, many people, when they flee the country, they continue posting on social media. But in the case of Salinas and most other fugitives, the bulk of the work is old-fashioned surveillance, like what we were doing now, waiting patiently for a fugitive to emerge. So we sat there, the radio on, eating snacks, staring at the barbershop, and then the agents received a call with their best tip yet. It looked like Salinas was in Tijuana, an hour and a half up the coast. Abigail hit the gas. Okay. 
As we drove from Ensenada to Tijuana in search of Salinas, we all wondered what version of the Mexican outlaw life he had chosen. Was he dangling from a parasail? Was he in a mountain hut protected by cartel gunmen? When we got to Tijuana, we parked across the street from a second barber shop called Bunker Cuts. Bad Bunny was playing in the truck. Abigail went to go get some nachos and to sneak a look inside. From the truck, we could see the apartment above the shop where Salinas might be hiding. There was a rack of clothes drying on the terrace. There were no hints that this was the right place. I started wondering to myself, maybe it's too late. Maybe the cops lost the trail. Maybe Salinas will be on the lam forever. At this point, there was nothing else to do but continue to wait. They filled the time by gossiping about their colleagues. They listened to more Bad Bunny. They talked about old cases, the pedophile who tried to stab himself when he was apprehended, the ex-football star who was so strong that it took the entire team to detain him. Then, after about an hour, the call came out of nowhere. Suddenly, the team was frenzied. Another officer on the walkie-talkie spotted a young man who looked a lot like Salinas. The person over the radio says, he's going down. Yvonne says they should do it like a normal traffic stop. He's leaving, Abigail says, in the gold Honda. They turned on a siren and took off, tearing through two lanes of traffic. All three unmarked vehicles sped after Salinas. They pulled him over. Salinas turned off the engine. Everyone was tense. We didn't know what Salinas might do being cornered like this, or who was protecting him in this neighborhood, or even if they had the right guy. Yvonne got out of the truck. There's a moment where he sounds unsure. He says, I don't think he's the one. They pulled the driver out of the car. He didn't look like the mugshot of Salinas I'd seen. He was a gangly kid with a wispy mustache. He looked like he'd just woken up from a nap. Yvonne took a wallet out of his pocket and found an ID. There it was, a California driver's license with the name of Damien Arisa Salinas. They got him. They handcuff Salinas, push him against the car, and he starts pleading. I'm a good person, he says. Yvonne learns he doesn't really speak Spanish. Then Abigail approaches. Salinas was kind of just staring into the middle distance. He looked confused. He started to say, right now I'm going... But Abigail cut him off. You're not going anywhere, she said. You're coming with us. (laughs) 
Before the police loaded Salinas in the back of the truck, I asked if I could sit next to him to ask a few questions. Surprisingly, the police said yes. They put one officer between us in case Salinas lunged at me. But he didn't. He looked calm. Just to be clear, I'm not a law enforcement official. I'm, yeah, no, I'm a they journalist. Still, they still take word from journalists? Yeah. yeah. Those are bad jobs. I like those ones. It's interesting sometimes. I think I'd been expecting an angry, sophisticated criminal. This guy, after all, was being accused of homicide. But Salinas just seemed like a lost kid. At first, he tried to pretend like the police had captured the wrong guy. That he was just another American hanging out in Mexico. I really do anything wrong. I'm just chilling. Came out here for a better life. For a better life? You came to Mexico for a better life. Go to work. But he gave up on that story almost immediately. He knew the cops were looking for him. I'm a good dude, man. Just people, people probably think I'm someone I'm not, you know? Why didn't you try to go further into Mexico? Like, you stayed so close to the border. Well, so, I mean, I'm not a dumb though. I know why they caught me. I just stopped trying after a while, you know, things got, you know? The cops are not really that smart, you know, so it's every every place they hit, I was right. I was always watching them. I watched them like they watched me. And for, after a while, I just gave up. I was like, How'd you give up? It's just going through a lot, you know, being alone and shit, the depression. Yeah. You know, PTSD gets in, all kinds of so. so you basically were like, resigned yourself to getting caught. Yeah. You almost wanted to get caught, it sounds like. Yeah, basically. The cops first took him to a station for processing, documenting his fingerprints and tattoos. Then they brought him to an immigration facility where his deportation papers were signed. That's around when he looked at me and asked, Am I getting deported? <laughs> oh, uh, do you want to ask him? Yeah, I don't know. Um, of course he was being deported. American fugitives aren't usually tried in Mexico. The police unit and immigration handled the deportation. Nosotros immigración. Them and immigration, yes. I could see the reality sinking in for him now. He knew his days of hiding were over. He was about to be sent back to the U.S. At one point, Yvonne blasted Gangster's Paradise from the stereo. After spending so much time talking about stereotypical gringo outlaws in their cartoonish view of Mexico, it felt like Yvonne was maybe showing his cards a little, blasting a dated rap song as if it offered some insight into crime across the border. Or maybe it was simpler. He was just trolling his suspect. Yvonne asked me to translate for him. He wanted me to ask Salinas if he was a rapper. Are you a rapper? Or were you ever a rapper? Or do you like rap? Yeah, I like rap. Si le gusta. Si tiene canción? Song? For me? Yeah. Nah. Are you sure? Yeah. Ah, okay, okay. Do you have a song? Like, have you ever sung a song? Me? Nah. I wasn't sure what was going on at first, but it turns out that Salinas was an amateur rapper. He'd been rapping since he was a teenager about how tough his life was, posting clips on the internet and the gringo hunters had found them during their investigation. 
<laughs> Why did you lie and say you didn't have a song if you had a song? I'm not gonna embarrass, man. That's all. As we got closer to the U.S. border, he was quiet, almost calm. Abigail parked about 50 yards from the border, and the agents escorted Salinas to the international boundary. Sentry two, hold on, no, hold on, please, hold on over there. A newly arrived group of Ukrainian refugees gawked as he passed. Yeah, we know. We know all about it. So we, got, we got the phone call. You guys are breaking them on it. All right, take a He's coming with us. A Mexican agent took the handcuffs off Salinas' wrists, and a U.S. agent immediately replaced them with a pair of U.S. handcuffs. It had the feeling of a ceremony without an audience. And then Salinas was gone escorted by a team of agents in tactical gear into a maze of U.S. government buildings. There's a pretty big chasm between the American fantasy of Mexico and the real thing. Salinas had come here to escape. But had Mexico ever been a place where you could just disappear? It certainly isn't now. Catching a guy like Salinas, it could seem like a favor to U.S. law enforcement, the Mexicans handing over their suspect. But of course, they had also just kicked an alleged murderer out of their own country. I glanced at each of the agents, looking for some reaction to the drama I just watched unfold. But they were unfazed. They'd lost track of how many Americans they'd caught years ago. Yvonne looked back at Abigail. You want to grab some tacos? <laughs> Kevin Seif is the Mexico City Bureau Chief for The Post. After Damian Salinas was handed over to U.S. authorities, he was taken to the San Diego County Jail. His bail was set at $1.5 million. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. This story was produced by Bishop San, who also mixed it. It was edited by Alexis Diao, Renita Jablonski, and Maggie Penman, our executive producer. Special thanks to Cecilia Favela and Jorge Espinosa at El Washington Post. They provided the Spanish interpretation. Our supervising senior producer is Rina Flores. Ted Muldoon is our senior producer. Our editor is Alexis Diao. Jordan Marie Smith, Ariel Plotnik, and Renny Svernovsky are producers. Savvy Robinson and Emma Talkoff are assistant producers. Sean Carter is our engineer. Natalie Bettendorf is our intern. The Post's director of audio is Renita Jablonski. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back Monday with more stories from The Washington Post. There's always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. Each week, we bring you inside conversations between the newsroom and the people we cover. From global leaders enacting change to cutting-edge artists redefining our culture. And we make you and your questions part of every conversation. Listen to Washington Post Live wherever you get your podcasts and watch on demand at WashingtonPostLive.com.